Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Avos Explore show. On today's episode, Lindsay and I talk with Damien Hall, an athlete who's represented Team GB for ultra running, a qualified UK coach and seeker of wild places. Damien is incredibly down to earth and shares his transition from trekking into his first running race, the Bath Half. He's since developed a strong appetite for adventure, an area Lindsay and I have a similar passion for. In December 2018, Damien and Beth Pascal achieved an FKT, fastest known time, during a 230-mile record run in the Scottish winter. The Cape Wrath Trail is notoriously wild, remote and inhospitable. Prepare to be inspired and enjoy the show. Hey Damien, welcome to the Avos Explore show. Linz and I are stoked to chat with you today. How are you going? I'm good, thanks for having me along. Yes, no worries. Where are you today? Are you up north? No, I live, um, well, I like to think I live in the southwest, but I don't know if I really count. People in Devon and Cornwall probably don't count me as in the southwest. Um, I live, well, right on the edge of Wiltshire, on the on the on the western the sort of north western edge of Wiltshire I'm making this sound try to sound <laughs> much more exciting than it is I live <laughs> I sort of live just outside Bath at the bottom of the Cotswolds but also just inside Wiltshire uh, in a tiny village well a little village called Box Box okay beautiful cool <laughs> nice. yeah we've been we've been super excited for this conversation um we knew a little bit about you before, but Ed and I happened to stumble upon uh, Wrath, your documentary about your FKT. And since then, we've both been quite keen to have a have a chat with you and pick your brain about, about running and ultra running and FKTs and things like that. So thanks for coming on the show. Oh, not at all. Thank you. Yeah, that was a that was a fun time up there. And I must point out when it looks like I'm crying in that uh, it's, it was very, very windy. <laughs> we will get into that um, but yeah it looked uh, it looked quite brutal in in parts so <laughs> awesome fun. and uh yeah just to give a quick shout out to david riley as well who's a fellow ultra runner who sort of um put us in touch and uh yeah really looking forward to it so let's get started um so where did your love of the trails begin well yeah um You've asked that question in in an interesting way to me because I was I was I loved trails before I was a, a runner because I was a a long you know I loved trekking um, and and it was I suppose I was brought up to be out outdoorsy you know we did a lot of hill walking and camping and so on um, and and my parents aren't especially sporty but I, I did love football um, I played a lot of football for sort of twenty years but I, I definitely wasn't a runner but I did I went travelling in in what two thousand and two. Um, you know, went through New Zealand several times and, and lived in Australia for, for most of a decade. Um, and when I was down there, especially, oh, and, and in Patagonia as well. Um, I just, yeah, yeah, very, very lucky to have that, that sort of time off and to go traveling. Um, yeah, I remember just seeing all the mountains regularly and, and learning about these trails and these footpaths. And especially in New Zealand, they're, they're, they're very accessible. They build these wonderful huts and, the, and there are good websites and good maps and, and, um, they make it all tramping, tramping, they call it down there. So they make it quite accessible. Um, and over a little bit of time, I just realized when I went traveling that I didn't necessarily want to see, you know, museums and hotels and cafes. Mm. I, I wanted to get into lumpy places, um, lumpy green places, um, rocky 
snowy places, I suppose. Um, and they were much more exciting to me. So I was doing lots of, yeah, and, th- and that lasted for for quite a few years and, and took me into a little bit of mountaineering. But I loved I loved trekking. I loved going out for several days, feeling self-reliant, you know, with, with a pack on your back with, you know, you can pretty much look after yourself. You, you might have a tent in there, um, you know, enough food for several days. That was really exciting to just go off on a little adventure, maybe with some of it, but quite often on my own, actually. Um, didn't have many friends, still don't. Um, so a lot of that was, yeah, solo stuff. Um, and then when I kept, moved back to Britain um, uh, a decade ago, um, I did carry on doing that a bit. You know, I sort of walked the Pennine Way, uh, walked coast to coast. Um, and then around that time, uh, you know, until then, I, I had no idea or no real idea that people ran in these sorts of places um in the north of england there's the kind of fell running culture i suppose so it's it's a lot more visual for people people it, it's part of culture up there as far as i can tell whereas down here yes there are some trail races but i i hadn't seen any um i know them now but i didn't at the time so i didn't really realize people kind of ran in these places um although i've got this one memory of um me and my friend did the national three peaks you know the challenge of doing, yes. doing those, and um, I do remember me. Yeah, we'd got up early and gone up Ben Nevis in, in you know horrible weather, um, and thought we were absolute heroes. You know, um, and we were just turning around to come down the summit of Ben Nevis, and I remember seeing two women jog past us in vests. In you know, it was a whiteout. It was um, you know, it was it was sort of a hurricane and, and well, not really a hurricane, but windy and and you know, painful rain and, and they just had vests on and bum bags and little shorts and up there, and they were jogging up chatting and, and you're kind of like, hold on we're I thought we were the heroes. Look at them. Um, so I, I do remember one or two incidents like that where you sort of thought, Oh, hold on. You know, there's another way to do things. Um, mm-hmm. And from so, that moment, was there, was there sort of a pivotal moment where you thought, oh, I'm going to give trail running a go or did your trek turn into a bit of a run? How, how was the transition? Well, that particular that particular little, little adventure with my mate Bevo, um, that did turn into a run because we almost ran out of time. So coming down Snowdon, um, well, if I'm absolutely honest, I sort of left him because I didn't think we were going to make it in time. And I, I said to him, I'm not coming back, you know, not coming back next year or in a few months to try again, you know, because there was going to be minutes in it. So I ran off. I ran the last. Um, you know, I knew he was going to be all right. He was just very tired and, and slowing down. Um, so I ran the last few miles downhill. Um uh, and we just, you know, and, and then turned around to, to try and sort of um, encourage him in. And we both made it just inside with literally minutes to spare. So that was quite exciting. I suppose it involved some running. Um, I remember doing, yeah, I did the bath half was a turning point for me. Obviously, that's on tarmac. Um, and then I can't remember, actually, the exact moment of, of thinking I'd like to run on trails. But I actually no, there were two things. I do remember doing a local trail race. There's a wonderful company around Bath called Relish Running, and they organize lots of local trail races and i don't know where i'd heard of it but i realized there was a a 10k um in bath um this must have been about 2012 i suppose or late 2011 um and i remember doing that and loving it um yeah that that was a maybe that was a turning point it feels like doing the bath half was a bigger turning point in a way and that it was like oh running is great and then realizing you could run yeah in lumpy places and and on trails Mm -hmm. um, afterwards i suppose because I know in your um, your writing as well, you, you sort of thank that your midlife crisis got you out and addicted to running. Um, <laughs> was there sort of a specific reason why you signed up to the Bath Half or was it because it was local? Um, I guess, yeah, I've, I, I mean, I've always been relatively fit, I suppose, in that I've always wanted to play lots of football. And I would occasionally run, 
well, maybe even fairly regular. I would run maybe once a week to keep fit for the football. Um, but that would normally be on roads, I suppose. And I remember signing up for the bath half because I felt a bit unfit. Um, but really, I was still playing football three times a week. So it's, it's not one of those kind of couch to couch potato to sort of Olympic hero um, stories. But <laughs> but yeah, I, I and also in Bath, the bath half is, is a huge thing. It's hard to escape it. And I just kind of thought, well, you know, I wonder what I could do there. I wonder if I wonder if I'd enjoy that. Um, I mean, I suppose I should add that at, at school, I, I would do OK at cross country. Um, and I was uh, Stroud, Stroud District champion uh, one year. Um, I think it was only three races and one of them was at our school anyway. And I um, so I did enjoy it back then. But that's sort of 20 years before. Um, but the bath half. Yeah, I sort of on a whim just to get a bit fitter and then just, yeah, just loved it. And straight away thought I want to do more of this. Um, but then again, yeah, it was, I would have been mid to late thirties. Um, I think we were already expecting our first child then. So there was an element of, um, I don't know, it might've been an element. I I think it genuinely was an element of I'm approaching my forties, you know, let's, let's squeeze every ounce of fitness out of, you know, what let's try and prove we've still got some some strength and fitness I suppose there may well have been an element of that I'm not I'm not sure no I can completely relate I remember because I guess I started out on road running as well um and I guess doing those events and beginning to compete you that it becomes quite addictive uh but then I think when I found trail running and then began that it was like wow this is a, a whole new experience um and I mean where did your sort of competitive side come into play was that when you you know you had quite a few races under your belt were you how, how did that happen oh well that, yeah that <laughs> that was there straight away um because for that bath half I I had no idea I didn't really have any running friends or anything so I had no idea what a good time was I didn't know what to aim for other than my brother-in-law um James um he told me he had run um 146 or 148 um, at a half marathon so that was my only thing to try and beat um so i ran i ran 140 and now he since has since has claimed that actually it was 136 or 138 uh so that i didn't beat him and, and, and actually it was so long ago that the results are no longer on the um on the bath half website of his so I, we can't verify that it's turned into a little bit of a family feud um, <laughs> um but yeah straight away i wanted to um i suppose even when i did these long hikes um, I did love something like the National Three Peak Challenge because there's a competitive element to it. Um, you know, there's a time limit. Um, and I did love that. And I started to do things like, I don't know, Yorkshire Three Peaks, I suppose. Um, again, I was never going for the records or anything, but I loved the idea of there being a time limit. You know, you're meant to do it within 12 hours or 24 hours. Um, and when I walked coast to coast of England, um, again, I think in my guidebook, it said, you know, most people do this over 12 days. So, so I got really determined, you know, I was going to do it in 10 days. Um, and, and I did, and, and I'd, I'd get up, at, you know, I'd start at seven in the morning and I'd be still going at seven at night. And, and that was quite, you know, that was quite uncomfortable. I, you know, and no one has ever been impressed with me walking that in 10 days or interested either. So I don't really know, <laughs> but, there, but I, I suppose I've all, yeah. So it is interesting. And I can see it in my children as well that, that, you know, some people do have a, a competitive thing they're born with um possibly um or it doesn't mean it can't be developed um but yeah when i got into it i wanted to be competitive at it so even on that first bath half yeah i was i was definitely aiming for a time and trying to do well um and then i think that first trail race 
I'm pretty sure I was in the top 10 of, of that. So I did, you know, I did want to do well. Um, but I kind of envy people who aren't bothered about that. You know, they must, must have a much more fun time than than I do. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess with the, you know, the surge of, of running and, and trail running over the past few years, um, and that particularly lockdown as well, why, why do you think that is? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I, I think a lot of our a lot of our lives have got I suppose, you know, too far removed from 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 nature and and, and adventure. Um, and running fits wonderfully, especially into to I suppose, I don't want to say middle age, but especially if we've got families or we're busy with work, running running's amazing because you you can go any time or any place. Um, I don't know if there's any other sport quite like it. You know, um, even cycling, you you got to make sure your bike's in order. You need lights um, for nighttime and stuff. Um, running is to me the most flexible. Um, sort of activity you can do and, and obviously it gives you those endorphins you can explore with it and that's probably the big thing for me is you can go and explore you can have a mini adventure um, and I love you know I love staying somewhere new or you know it might have coincided I just we just moved out of Bath to, to this village of Box around the same time and I was off exploring that there's a lovely valley here just looking out my window the, the Bybrook Valley um, you know it's nice and quiet and there are endless sort of trails and, and places to explore and, and ways to get lost um, and I think, yeah, I think we all really need that in our lives. Um, a little bit of uncertainty sometimes, a little bit of um, adventure um, and simply being in nature as well. I mean, you know, numerous studies have shown that's good good for us in, in loads of ways. Um, so I guess that would be my my take on it. Yeah, and, and kind of in that vein, as a keen ultra marathoner myself, I'm curious about when ultra marathons came into the picture for you? Because um, it sounds like you started with the half, you did a couple of trail races, but when were you like, okay, I want to do something longer than 26 miles? Well, it, it was, um, it was a bit of a happy accident, but, but I think I would have, yeah, I would have gravitated that way anyway. It's just, I can see how to people it sounds so daunting. Um, you know, when people talk about hundred miles or even 50 miles, um, even 30 miles, you know, that, that sounds daunting, to people if they've not tried it um but what happened was I, I yeah i did my first marathon the next year um at brighton i ran that uh, dressed as a toilet um <laughs> raising uh, raising money yes, for water aid <laughs> yeah yeah i was i i'm a journalist as well so i was pestering a magazine editor to let me write about it and and he finally gave in and he said okay i'll let you write about you know your newfound love of running but i'm going to send you on i'm going to send you on your first ultra marathon so, you know, he kind of called my bluff and I didn't feel I could squirm out of it. So I sort of said yes and, th and then started looking, you know, looking into how to train and, and looking into this sport. Now, I, I am I had definitely heard of it once in that I knew that one of the trails in New Zealand that I hiked, the, the Kepler track. I remember someone telling me um, that people run it in a race. And I just, you know, I just that was just crazy, a crazy idea. Um, but I didn't. Yeah, I didn't come across that idea again for a long time. But I remember, yeah, the, the magazine I'm talking about is one called Outdoor Fitness, and it had just launched. And they did have some stories in there about ultra marathons. So I, I definitely remember reading them and thinking, oh, this, you know, this sounds kind of crazy, but but compelling. Um, so when he sent me on my first one, I, like anyone, I, you know, I was nervous. Uh, I remember the the morning of the the race, um, yeah, being very nervous, you know, constantly faffing with Kit. Although, you know, we we still do that now. Um, you know, um, seeing all these sort of chiselled, hardened people on the start line with all their strange kit, you know, all these bottles with tubes sticking out the top of them and um, special packs. 
um, and and calf guards and you know all this strange kit I'd never seen before and just thinking this is a you know this is a different world but I want to I want to be part of it um, and then yeah and then the race the race started it was called the wall um, and I I'd gone for the two day version I'm, I'm not sure if they still do a two day version so it was 69 miles over two days um, and yeah very early on I thought this is this is this is for me although it was uncomfortable and you know I. My training had been uh, insufficient. Um, yeah, definitely the camaraderie um, was totally different to road running. Um, the scenery obviously is better. That sense of achievement at the end and, and, and that wonderful feeling of sort of overcoming yourself when you, when you think this is too hard, I can't go on. I, you know, I wanted to stop, I wanted to stop. And then, and then suddenly you have, you have done it. You, you've given a, a little bit something more that you found somewhere um, and you've got to the finish. And that feels, you know, that's an amazing feeling. Um, and then um, on top of that, I suppose, yeah, all those, all the wonderful aid stations. Um, that was that was a revelation to me. I remember the first one getting there and sitting down in a chair and just stuffing my face and filling my pack with sweets and thinking, this is this is the life. This is for me. Yeah, I I have to say that I agree. Um, the <laughs> aid stations at at ultras are 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 incredible, especially when they're sort of more local and everyone brings something from home. It's sort of more like a potluck than an aid station. It's <laughs> it's it's excellent. Um and yeah. you see so that's that's really interesting that your first your first one was through your work as a as a journalist. And so I'm kind of interesting interested, excuse me, in exploring that relationship a little more between your writing and your running. And I'm wondering how you view that relationship and how they sort of develop alongside each other. Well, uh, I mean, firstly, um, doing that as a, as a sort of as a living or part of my living was um, it always sounds like sort of living. Well, I, I've had people say to me, you know, you're, I'm living the dream. But I mean, you, you, you don't make any money from doing that. You lose money from doing that because often you're away for four or five days to do something and you're paid, you know, 250 pounds. Um, you've still got to write the story when you get back and your expenses weren't covered. So it's like it's um it's not a profitable profitable way. It's probably something you could do before you have a family, but as a as a family thing, it's not, you know, it's not sustainable um for me. And, and obviously the print industry is is struggling too. So um you've got to look for online outlets that will pay. But at the same time, I could usually get a free entry. I could tell my wife I had to go away, you know, because it's work. Um and um yeah so so yeah i'm not not asking for any sympathy um but also i realize it, it I, I still haven't sort of dnf'd an ultra marathon and i realize a lot of those early races and of course they were nearly always doing a new distance you know i did my first 100k first 100 miles i was doing the spine race they were all magazine assignments i realized it gave me you know people say you know know your why make sure you've got enough motivation to get to the finish line and always it was like well if i've been away from my kids all right i'm not going to come back with much money from this but at least make it worthwhile you know I've got, I've, I can't quit the race and sometimes there'd be a photographer there as well and I don't know for sure but like in my head I was wondering if they would get paid if I didn't finish the race so I was I was doing it you know kind of for them as well um making sure I you know got the job done so in a way um it gave me good motivation um to finish finish these new distances uh, and I remember some of the early races I would actually take a dictaphone with me and when it was quiet, when there's no one with me, I'd get it out and sort of chat into my dictaphone about about how I was feeling um, and make it, you know, probably probably whinging into it and crying into it. Um, and actually, <laughs> I've never, ever listened back to any of them because I've never really had to, because 
when you get home, as long as you make some notes like that night or the next day when it's still relatively fresh, there's always been enough of an adventure, at least in my head, to to, to make a story easily. Because um, you always get that wonderful roller coaster of, of I suppose, emotions um, through these events. My coaches are still trying to get me to to do that for my races. So oh, hopefully right. I'll catch on soon. <laughs> Sounds like a great way to remember them, to be honest. Oh, to make to make notes as soon as yeah. possible. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it can be smart in terms of, especially with nutrition, for example, of, of yeah, what worked, what didn't. Um, yeah, that ca- I think that can be quite smart. Um, but also, I suppose if you're thinking about how am I feeling, how's it going, then it's quite a good exercise of. I suppose nowadays that's called mindfulness, um, as far as I understand it. Anyway, um, so that that was an exercise in in sort of being in the present moment. So maybe it helped a bit in that respect as well. But um, yeah, I think it helped me. It helped me get free entries to races. I wouldn't like things like, I suppose, the spine race and the dragon's back race that I wouldn't have been able to afford to do them. So it, it, it did help me get into those races. And I think it helped me finish them and helped me probably enjoy them more as well, I think. Um, yeah, so it was it was a helpful hand up. And and a lot kind of along those lines, if so, what piece of advice would you give either as a fellow runner or as a coach to someone who is interested in getting involved with trail running, um, say if they had no previous running experience? I, w- I would say, um, I, I, I get the impression people are, some people are sort of daunted by, well, partly it's the distances and then partly some people, if they're not used to trails, um, sometimes they're worried about getting lost or, or tripping over. Um, and I, I mean, number one, I would say go and get lost. It's great. Um, you know, in, in most scenarios, I mean, yes, in the Lake District at the top of the fells, you know, in bad weather, that's that's a very serious thing. Um, but in most of the countryside in Britain, you know, getting a little bit lost, especially with, you know, you don't want to rely totally on your, on a smartphone, but especially with the technology we have nowadays um, or, or even watches. So often the, the watches now, you know, you've got to, you know, you press a couple of buttons and it's telling you where you've been and how to get home how to get back to the start anyway um so there's lots of things to help us but also just getting a little bit lost sometimes so i think it's good for us um uh without it being too dramatic as i say um and tripping over i mean it doesn't really happen to me it, it should keep you more in the moment so that 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 buddhist idea of keeping you in the present moment um if you're thinking more about placing your feet you, yeah you're remaining present um and that's a sort of meditative process really um in terms of distances I, I would honestly say it's not. It'd be interesting to see what you two think, but it, they're not as daunting as they sound because I know if you run a marathon and think I couldn't possibly do another mile, um, but but you don't need to run as fast as you run in a marathon. And tarmac really hurts. So like trails don't hurt usually. <laughs> usually, I can't promise every time, but usually shouldn't hurt you as much as tarmac does. Um, there's more variation, so you, your joints are getting a little bit um they're getting a different experience they're not just being battered repetitively in the same way you know on tarmac it's your, your ankles knees hips they're just it's almost always the same exactly the same um impact um re- repeatedly so you know so on a trail race it's fine to walk a bit you know in fact that's a sensible tactic a lot of the time um so i would say it's a lot more enjoyable and less painful than 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 it might sound um but yeah what do you to think about sort of um stepping up distance absolutely i think yeah i completely agree with everything you just said and it's also the scenery you know and where you are and and whether it's mountainous or you you may be by the coast um and just how it all changes throughout the race um i know Lindsay and i did the did a race down in pembrokeshire in wales and it was um 
yeah, it was just it was just a beautiful winding race which which carried on along the coast and and there was hills and a few forests and and yeah, just the variety of scenery really really brought it to life. Um, and I guess on that note, so moving on to your your FKT, so your fastest known time attempt that you did um, in the Cape Wrath Trail in Scotland. Um, can you describe what the Cape Wrath Trail is like? Um, and what inspired you to to choose that for your first FKT attempt? Yeah, so the, the Cape Wrath Trail is is sort of it winds up from Fort William, um, goes up north the northwest side of Scotland, um, all the way to to the very northwesternmost point, which is Cape Wrath, uh, which is really remote. There's not a proper road to it. Um, you have to get a um, sort of one hour drive on a, a bumpy track, and then a and then a small uh, I wouldn't even call it a ferry, a small boat ride across to the next peninsula to, to sort of get away or to get there in the first place. So it's really remote. I think only one person lives there all year round, um, the lighthouse keeper. Um, so it's pretty exciting uh, to get there. Um, now, I must say, it wasn't it wasn't my first FKT as such, but it was definitely uh, my my. Yeah, it's definitely the rem- remotest FKT. And, and, and it was incredibly remote for, you know, for Britain. And that's kind of why I loved it. it, it to be honest, it was. Um, the idea was from Ellie Green at Summit Fever Media. Um, we were just discussing some ideas one day. They're good friends of mine. They're filmmakers. And they were trying to think up of a good winter British adventure that they wanted for them to film. And they came up with that. Um, and we all know Beth Pascal quite well. Um, Britain's probably, well, yeah, Britain's uh, top female ultra runner at the moment. Um, so she's a good friend of ours. Um, and I met all those guys at the, at the spine race. Um, so it was Ellie's idea to do it in winter. And we, we looked into it and we couldn't find, um, people have walked it in the winter, but we couldn't find any evidence of anyone who'd run it in the winter. So yeah, it was all sort of Ellie's idea really. And, um, it's one of those things you sort of, yeah, sign up for, agree to do a long time in advance. And then when it gets a bit close, you're sort of like, Oh, (laughs) Oh dear. What have I, because partly because there's a lot of river crossings and, um there'd been a lot of rain and and some of the river crossings um you know locals were possibly trying to spook us out but we did double check there is a website um i can't remember the name of the organization but a scottish river you know or national parks website that shows roughly how deep the rivers are and and some of them were close to two meters full you know and i'm not two meters so so crossing a river of that nature well it's it's um it's kind of a death wish you know you shouldn't you shouldn't do that um so that was quite that was a bit intimidating um so we did delay it by one day and luckily you know we could see the weather was going to change luckily that allowed a lot of the extra water to to flush through but that you know i was genuinely genuinely frightened when we started off because um a you go into deep deep cold water it might just you might just lose your balance and go downstream bang i don't know you might bang your head on something that might be it but also you might come out the other side and, and be hypothermic and and you know ha- we had sleeping bags but but we were traveling light so it's like how do you get warm um so you know it could be two or three in the morning um so it was, you know, it was reasonably, reasonably hairy, to be honest. Um, but luckily, as I say, the, the rivers weren't as bad as we thought. Um, and actually, we had we had good weather. We didn't have much rain or, or it wasn't super cold, although the further north you got, the, the wind really picked up. Um, so it was, yeah. Uh, what did it take us? I, I can't remember. Was it four days? Three to four days. Um, not much sleep, but, but a wonderful adventure. I mean, it was a shame, obviously, <laughs> at that time of year. It was early December. A lot of it's in the dark. So you... In a way, you miss you do miss some of the views, but you still get you know you might get a wonderful starry night and and, and be up high somewhere. It can still be quite magical. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, just stunning scenery. Hardly saw anyone. Um, yeah, just exactly one of the the reasons why you do this sort of thing. Just have those adventures, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from the uh, from the film, it looked like a just a remote wild adventure really um and the fact that a lot of the trails as well that there weren't actually clear paths so you were actually sort of walking and hiking and then trail running through shrubbery and there was like how did how did you find that did you have experience with that yeah it can really vary i mean sometimes there was a good trail but but quite often there wasn't and um yeah, I mean that added to the adventure, but but sometimes it was just so slow. What I struggled with a bit was was thinking, oh, you know, so and so place is four miles away. That should take us about an hour, but sometimes that would take us three hours if the terrain was was really rough. Um, and yeah, it could be yeah, boulders, um, heather, boggy, everything. So it really um, yeah, it just so I had to learn not to be too optimistic. I suppose I was too optimistic at times that I would would. Yeah, I had to learn to be just accept things and, and not put too much of a sort of time guess on things. Um, but yeah, it added to the adventure. I suppose we wanted it to feel remote and rugged. You know, you don't want to go on a long trail run and it to be all manicured and, and you know, um, and that sort of thing. So it was, yeah, it, it added added to the fun, really. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess your relationship with Beth as well um, and actually doing it as a, as a team and, and sort of setting off for, for the few days. Do you feel like that really helped you? Um, in comparison to when you've done your treks and, and trail races alone, how, how did that differ? Yeah, it's it's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Um, and the, with anything like that, there's always a period of sort of settling in and, and working out who's better at what and who wants to do what. Um, for example, I mean, she's she's very sharp on on the navigation, and I'm pretty much well. I'm a bit of a daydreamer, um, so you know, she would be saying. So I think I started off. I think I had the GPS and the map and, and she would be saying like, well, uh, how, how high is the next climb? When is it coming? Which way do we go over those, you know, between those mountains? And I'd be like, I don't know, we'll, we'll work it out when we get there kind of, kind of thing. So, so it quickly transpired. It was better if she, she did the navigation um, because she's a lot more, I don't know, she's a lot more focused and on the ball and wants to know. Whereas I'm, yeah, probably a bit more relaxed, I suppose. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting working out those little mini dynamics, which of course get really exaggerated when it's just the two of you. Mm. Um, we would see Matt and Ellie a couple of times a day, um, I suppose, but you know, not for long. So yeah, those things get really exaggerated. Um, I'm just, I mean, I mean, I'm really pleased. I'm we're we're, we're still friends is is the main thing. Um, we, um, you know, she invited invited us to to her wedding. Or she's had to postpone her wedding, but we've been invited to her wedding. So hopefully that proves we haven't we haven't fallen out. And I think it'd be very easy to fall out with someone. In fact, anyone who know who's sort of travelled with anyone knows how you know how intense that relationship gets, even if it's just someone you a stranger you've hooked up with for a while. Um, so um, I think we did quite well. We're both quite. I don't know. We in a way we didn't didn't talk loads to be honest. Um, Partly because I mean we're both so tired most of the time, um, but we know each other quite well, and and I think maybe you can tell if someone wants to talk and someone doesn't. Um, so it was, you know, she's a great person to to, and also I mean she's a doctor on top of all of that, so you kind of feel like if you, um, yeah, you've got that reassurance of uh, you you can ask her medical questions if things. I don't know what I bring to it, probably just bad jokes, um, and and I was willing to carry the uh, willing to carry the heavy tracker uh, and and the cooker, so. Um, yeah, there you go, it's balancing intriguing. it up. Yes, yes. She brought <laughs> loads of knowledge and wisdom and, and general smartness, and I just carried a tiny bit more. Um, I was the donkey. Uh, 
yeah, it, it is intriguing. And of course, you know, you'll definitely have moments if you, if you ever do anything like this with someone else where one of you is fine and one of you is struggling. Um, and, you know, it's rare that those two moments sync so that you're both struggling at the same time. It's usually one of you feels pretty good and the other one doesn't. And that's, you know, so you've got to be a bit kind. Um, we developed some tech, some power nap tactics uh, that really worked, actually. Um, sometimes we even lay down on the trail, didn't even take our bags off. We just set our alarm for 15 minutes um and and they they those snoozes really really worked actually um that could power you up for several hours um i forget now did we slot i think we slot we stopped three times i forget now whether it's four nights or three nights but we we stopped to sleep three times but those sleep you know it was two to four hours and not good sleep at all um so yeah it was tiring we were trying to break a record but um so we 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 knew we sort of had to push it a bit but yeah just just a cracking adventure really it was, yeah. it was great yeah amazing yeah thanks so much for sharing it's uh sounds absolutely awesome um mm. and i guess what was your primary goal with doing the fkt was it the adventure was it to sort of test your limits or beat a record yeah i mean you know when i can't remember what we say in matt and ellie's film but but we both sort of say oh it's primarily to have an adventure you know any sort of record is 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 secondary um but, you know, we're both quite competitive minded people. Um, we were, both, you know, if really the the adventure was the, you know, the main goal, I suppose we would have slept more and been more relaxed. Um, I forget what we beat the record by in the end. It wasn't, you know, with the greatest respect to the person who set the record. It wasn't really I don't think it was really set the previous record by a runner. I think it was more of a sort of hiker or fast packer. Um, I think he carried quite a bit of kit. Um so, so we, I wouldn't say confident, but we knew it was a record we should be able to, should be able to break. So, so I guess we could have been, yeah, if we were just in it for the adventure, we could have been more relaxed and, and just enjoyed it a bit more. So there was a, a nice line in between, I think, where we felt proud with our sort of athletic, athletic sort of effort. Um, but yeah, I'd seen, you know, I'd seen a good, a good amount of scenery at the same time. Um, but I can totally get how, you know, if you just want to go and enjoy somewhere you know just go and just go and hike it or fast pack it there's no need to um set set aim for records if you don't want to but i suppose for us that just adds an extra exciting element i think sure and in preparation for the fkt i'm wondering how you designed your training both from a running perspective and an eating perspective and a sleeping perspective and kind of how each of those arms played into your success well um if i'm totally honest the, the training for me um so we were doing this in december and we both we both had a big year we both run utmb in sort of right at the end of august um <clears throat> so we were both you know in pretty good shape uh, and we both you know had good a good race at utmb this is back in sort of 2018 um so what, really it was more about probably not getting injured in between so you know i had a good year of yeah I'd, and i'd had two two decent races before utmb so it was more about resting properly after utmb um you know having a couple of easy months really and then and then getting used to i suppose running with a pack with you know we were carrying sleeping bags and, and food and stoves and so getting used to that um and we did do one training run together in the brecon beacons which i think was helpful um just to you know suss each other's paces and talk about kit and tactics so in terms of fitness we didn't really have to ramp things up um necessarily um in terms of food 
uh, I mean, with these sort of things, it's just, it's almost like just to eat as much as you can. Um, and, you know, we were self-supported, which meant we could pick up supplies en route. Um, so we didn't have to really skimp on food too much. If you're, if you're, there are kind of three categories, there's unsupported, self-supported or supported. Um, so if you're supported, you, you, you know, you could have a van with you, you know, um, full of food if you wanted but we were yeah we were in the middle bracket um i guess it's yeah stuffing your face as much as possible really and and getting variety because you you go off or i personally go off the sweet stuff I, I start off wanting lots of chocolate and enjoying that and then getting really fed up of that and wanting i suppose you know salty crisps and and, and so on um i suppose as much real food as possible you know sandwiches and, and wraps and and so on um i was like some liquid calories too smoothies and, and chocolate milks and and so on oh, i'm getting getting hungry um <laughs> what um, do you what was your weirdest craving food wise when you were out there oh cripes i think you you really after a while you really crave i suppose it it honestly is the vegetables and the salads because they're the stuff you're not really um you're not really having i mean i remember we got to when we finally got to the lighthouse there was quite there was a little bit of adventure after our adventure actually because it was difficult to get away and that night um the ferry driver who wouldn't normally come out um at that time of year so we're talking yeah early mid-december um he didn't really want to go in the dark so we didn't but we didn't get there till the dark and he was kind of waiting so he tried to take us across and realized it wasn't safe enough so turned we turned around uh went back to the lighthouse um uh in at night time and they they really looked after us um they were wonderful so I, I really remember getting a load of tomato soup and i know tomato soup doesn't sound necessarily that exciting but it just tasted delicious after i'd been on you know kind of chocolate bars for four or five days um <laughs> tomato soup and then they made us uh, macaroni cheese uh and there was a pudding as well i can't remember what the pudding was but just just cheese and tomatoes you know like a really basic thing that you eat every day at home but when you're out running for days on end you're not having much of that stuff so that was delicious um and i just yeah want to thank them again for looking after us so we stayed there the night and then got up in the morning and got across got across the um the straight in the end um but yeah i mean the secret to these things is is yeah stuffing your face um really <laughs> and that's yeah that's why partly why i love the sport as well for sure. Um, I think runners are known for their appetite. So another big draw of ultra running, uh, kind of going back to the, the training, but just another in another context, I guess. Um, do you practice any kind of um, visualization or any kind of mental training, both when you're training for something like an FKT, but even real just really big, challenging races like UTMB or spine race? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think I think um, our sport, the psychological element of our sport has been, um, it, you know, there's only very little amount of research into it, really. And it's a huge element. Um, and I find the more I think about it, the more I look into it, the the, the I think maybe the better I do almost. Um, so I think one of the I, I yeah, I do really believe in visualization. I, I think really it's an element, you know, I, I guess I call it daydreaming. So before a big a big race or a big challenge, I, I am thinking about it a lot. And some of that's logistics, you know, is thinking, have I got enough batteries for my torch? Um, and so on. But some of it is simply what will it feel like? You know, what will it look like? Uh, and I think it's important to think about what might go wrong, partly so you've got a practical solution, but also so that you're emotionally prepared. And definitely, I I, um, I remember 
preparing. So I, I set a, I ran the Paddy Buckley round last last summer, uh, and I was trying to break the record. And I remember, I remember, I don't know what made me do it, but I, I remember thinking, right, at some point you're going to be behind the record time. What are you, you know, what are you going to think about? You know, are you going to let that derail your your chances? How are you going to sort of control that? Um, so I, 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 I thought if I prepared for that by thinking everything's going to be great, you know, and I'm just going to run around, skip around it like a pixie and have a wonderful time and set a record, um, you know, the chances of that happening are very, very small. So you're much better off thinking, right, things are going to go wrong. What are they going to be? Um, am I going to, you know, are my legs going to hurt sooner than I expect? Am I going to get behind the time? Am I going to go hungry for a while? Um, I think it's really smart to be, uh, thinking about those things in advance so that when they happen, um, cause sometimes if they surprise you and you haven't, something like that happens and you haven't thought about it, you know, you know, and you, if you really care about it, it can feel like the end of the world, can't it? But really so, so much of these things that, you know, they're 24 hours or several days. So that, that half an hour of, of, I don't know, being a bit hungry or being a bit fed up about something really, it wasn't a significant time, but we can often make it much worse by, getting getting sulky i suppose is, is the way i what happens to me sometimes anyway is, is kind of getting really fed up about some some little aspect um and forgetting the bigger picture um so yeah i think visualization and, and just mentally emotionally preparing for those things is is um a really good idea um and i'm just looking into this sort of stuff a lot more lately and, and reading some sports psychology books um and, and a lot of it comes down to your expectations and your and your goal setting um and so often you know if you've only got sort of outcome goals um as in i'm going to break the record i'm going to win this race um you know things that's less likely to bring you that outcome than than prioritizing process goals which is you know i, I just want to run with good form i want to enjoy going up and down these mountains um i want to enjoy running with other people i'm gonna you know be grateful to people at the aid stations i'm gonna just in, you know enjoy this adventure um and the process of it and that that's much more likely to to lead to you know positive outcomes successful athletic outcomes um uh, and that's that has been proven in, in studies uh that sort of you know the chemicals that, that that sends off in your brain um much more productive than, than sort of grasping at this this elusive um sporting goal um so yeah that side of stuff's fascinating do you do you guys you know do you do you guys spend time sort of visualizing or, or or imagining stuff like that yeah for sure um i think i mean we both do so i'll let ed speak to it as well but i i didn't used to but then interestingly when i i had a pretty severe stress fracture um uh two years ago and I was out of running for quite a while and I actually saw a she wasn't really a sports psychologist she was more of just like a a bit of a mindfulness coach who who worked with athletes but um, she gave me quite a few exercises to start visualizing what it would be like to run again and race again and how my body would feel and how a healed hip would feel and all of these things. And Mm. even though I haven't worked with her in quite some time, I now do that for most, most big races, even big training sessions that feel kind of daunting. Um, I find, I find visualization really, really helpful. Yeah. And I think I'm pretty sure I've read about a study with, with injured athletes who, um, who recovered quicker if they visualized, 
uh, again, it was about visualization and goal setting. Um, but if they spent time on that, I, I'm pretty sure there was some sort of correlation between quicker recovery. Um, but um, oh, what what about you, Ed? Um, Definitely, yeah. No, I agree with both of you. I think, um, yeah. In t- I've always been sort of a visual learner, um, so I've always tried to to sort of I don't know pick picture how I would like outcomes to be, um, and that's not just in training, but sort of entrepreneurship and and sort of um, running a startup as well. I guess your mind's always ticking and, and moving at quite a fast pace. Um, but I think, yeah, it's 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 a really interesting topic that both myself and Linz are, are super interested in. Um, and the more athletes we speak to, I know we had Ash Dykes, who's sort of a, a Welsh adventurer, um, and also sort of Georgian Moline last week, who was a um, American Olympian. Um, and they, they are all talking about visualization and how it can um, sort of ground you, but over time build that sort of reassurance um, and trust in yourself which i think can be a really powerful thing so when you do mm. get to race day you're 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 in a better headspace and you're 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 calm um mm. so yeah it is it is very very interesting uh which book are you reading at the moment oh it's by dr josephine perry uh what's the name i think it's it's got the word performance in the title um cripes i'm not going to remember i i'll if you want i'll tell you afterwards you can put it in show notes if you if you have yeah, definitely. if you do show notes um but it's yeah dr josephine perry something about peak performance i think um psychology and peak performance or, or something along those lines but yeah no it's 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 interesting stuff interesting yeah no we'd be uh, we'd be keen to see that in fact last week i was listening to a podcast and it was all to do with peak performance and um something so simple i think there was a scientific study and they said that uh peak performers take breaks every 52 minutes um so this isn't specifically to do with with training um more during the work day i guess um and just breaking from tasks um which was quite interesting but Mm. just to just to pivot back to your fkt um and obviously it was a 230 mile challenge which is absolutely huge um what are three lessons that you came away with after that experience Mm. (laughs) I think one one in terms of a sort of tactic for doing this sort of thing, yeah, the power nap was really effective. It was the first time I'd used that in a really effective way. Um, um, you know, if one of us was feeling fairly sleepy, we just went right power nap, both of us, um, and it, I think it worked every time. We, we did five or you know five or six maybe um, in terms of strategy. Yeah, I don't know how you you summarise this, but I was quite frustrated for the first couple of days because because we'd started a day later than planned, I was desperate to get home for my son being in his nativity play for the first time. Um, and I was hope desperately hoping that was possible. Um, and that, that, yeah, that was, um, don't know, frustrating me a lot. Uh, and meant I wasn't, you know, I wasn't necessarily enjoying it as much as I should. But then when, when that was clear to me that that was impossible um, to finish, for that um obviously there was a you know a little bit of time of sort of um anguish and sulking but once it would once that's totally gone i suddenly felt really freed up and, and relaxed and and you know i felt bad about it but there was nothing i could do about it i was going to miss it um and that was a lot more relaxing um i'm not sure how to summarize that into it something neat as a, as a lesson but but um there's some sort of lesson in there um for me if, if not for anyone else um thirdly i think yeah, when you're doing something like this, 
I don't know. You've got to be, yeah, you've got to be kind and, and understanding and, and helpful to the other person. Um, you know, you'll have to ask Beth whether, whether I actually was or not. But, um, you know, share, share your, um, I don't know, share your snacks and be forgiving because we're, um, you know, we're, we're all tired on these things. And maybe you don't always um, say things as politely or kindly as you should. But but um, hopefully I wasn't too awful. And, um, you know, I, I, I can't actually remember her, you know, saying anything, you know, ambiguous or, or unpleasant. But but um, I think just, you know, that kind of what goes on tour stays on tour in that um just because someone was a bit snappy or, or tired it doesn't doesn't mean they hate you or something so just having that bit of kindness and forgiveness i think is just going to make it all a bit more um easier and happier um so just just you know general life stuff in that yeah, regard yeah, i suppose yeah. a little bit um, of humor yeah. as well yeah although you know my sense of humor maybe isn't necessarily uh what most people want to be um hanging around with so <laughs> I, yeah, yes and no <laughs> awesome um Okay, beautiful. So, yeah, I guess sort of just um, going into a little bit more of the coaching and mindset areas. Um, so do you carry sort of a particular coaching philosophy? Ooh, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's that original, but I do think that that boring word, you know, consist consistency is, mm-hmm. is probably the thing that progresses us the most over time. Um, and consistency doesn't mean you know, doing the same miles every day or the same miles every week. In fact, you know, that's not smart. Um, but it, but it means to me, it means, um, if you've got a slight niggle, if you feel unusually tired, if work's been super stressful, um, but you still got a run 10, but your plan says run 10 miles. Um, you know, on all three of those examples, you can make a smart decision, a long-term decision, which means, you're more likely to get consistent training than, you know, than or head for a head for a bit of a break and, and a bit of a setback. Um, and yeah, the people who are able to approach those three scenarios and go, actually, I'll just I'll have a day off or I'll just do two, you know, I'll just do an hour super easy instead. Um, you know, the people who do that um, or, or even it's just foam rolling a bit more or, or going to see a physio preemptively. Um doing doing a bit of strength work it's, it's those people who get consistent training in um and and then you know our cardio our sort of aerobic i don't want to use the word base but our aerobic fitness can you know it takes years to properly develop it to really maximize it but when you do it it, it takes some patience um but that consistent training where whereby i mean i suppose you know getting lots of quality weeks quality months uh, and they don't need to be huge miles um just i think it's getting out regularly um you know over time that that can turn you into a really you know a really good athlete um and then i suppose from the mental side of things you know it's got to be it's got to be mostly enjoyable um you can't force someone to enjoy enjoy their running but i suppose you know if you i don't know if you're running on flat roads all the time and that's not enjoyable you know try and try and try and find the trails or get away at the weekends if you can um find what is it about running that you enjoy and do more of that um just because everyone else is going to the track or doing park run um and, and i'm not dissing either of those they're both wonderful experiences but it might not be for you um you know find out what you enjoy about running find the sort of challenges um and, and races you enjoy not that anyone has to do races or challenges and it's been really interesting in this lockdown with my clients actually um trying to keep people motivated and some people 
um, that's no challenge at all. They're just motivated sort of anyway, or even more motivated. Um, some people have got really demotivated by having no races. Um, but a lot of those people have come up with their own sort of challenges, you know, whether it's an FKT or a, or a, or a time trial or a Strava segment or, or, or um, but then some people aren't stimulated by that either. And it's more like just having little adventures or having a big weekend somewhere. Um, so it is finding what you enjoy about running and, and yeah, make your training mostly enjoyable. I mean, if you want to progress 10 or 20% of your training is going to be a little bit un- unenjoyable. You know, you need, you need to run fast sometimes if you want to sort of get to your, um, your sort of maximum. Um, although some people love, you know, love running fast, but, um, yeah, I think those are the two key things for me are probably consistency and enjoyment. Um, and I think, um, and some of that enjoyment again comes back to, you know, enjoying the process of running, not obsessing over some long-term goal, thinking more about, I don't know, I'm going to run with good form and I'm going to, um, enjoy that rhythm, um, of running well. Um, for example, um, I think if you can get, you know, those two things going for a while, then, then, yeah, then hopefully you're in, you'll be in, you'll reach a good place with that. I would say Hope, hopefully that wasn't too rambling and made some kind of sense. No, that was, that was clear. I guess in that vein as well, I, I, I saw you wrote, um, you know, good kit is important, but the right mindset is probably more important. Um, are you able to sort of elaborate on this and, and share if there's any specific tools that you would give or recommendations for runners? Um, I know you said you've just gone into, different things that you would you'd recommend um in terms of like finding what you enjoy and, and doing more of that but i wonder if there's any more specific tools um that you share with runners to 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 get the best out of it for them oh oh good good question um a bit long-winded <laughs> yeah i guess yeah um well uh no you got me thinking i i guess what i meant by that was i i do sense in some you know some races you sign up for and they may have a, a, a facebook group or whatever and, and people you know, quite naturally want to talk about kit a lot. Um, and kit is in, it is important. Uh, and I'm very lucky. I work with, work with innovate and, you know, they've got lots of great kit. Um, very grateful for that. Um, but you know, you could have all the great kit in the world, but if your mindset isn't, you know, coming up to a big race, if your mind isn't maybe in the right, the right kind of place, um, you know, that kit's not going to help you much. And, and someone who hasn't quite got the right kit. I mean, I love the story about, um, Lizzie Hawker, uh, I don't know if either of you guys have read, um, pretty sure her book is just called runner. Um, and she turns up for UTMB, like wearing road running shoes and like a, you know, a hiking pack. I think it was that, you know, she's just got in the last week or so. Um, and if I remember, she goes, you know, goes and wins UTMB, you know? <laughs> um, so the kit wasn't, wasn't that crucial. And, um, definitely you see people agonizing over, should it be this shoe or that shoe? Um, and actually when you're sponsored as great as it, it you know, I'm definitely not complaining. It, it's great, but really for a challenge, um, I've only got a choice between probably only two or three shoes for a challenge, um, that are going to suit that terrain. Whereas most people have got a choice of, you know, hundreds of shoes in a way, but if I'm going to, you know, I'm only going to wear an innovate shoe and they've only got two or three that are appropriate for that in a way, my choices are greatly reduced. So it means, um, I guess you realize that the kit, um, wasn't so important in a way, but at the same time, I suppose, usually that means you've chosen good kit because you haven't noticed, you know, you haven't noticed any chase or it didn't break. Um, so yeah, I, I, I guess I was trying to get at kind of, yeah, the mental preparation, the mental side of enjoying it is more important in terms of resources. Um, I mean, there's some great podcasts I love and some great books and audio books. Uh, a podcast I've really enjoyed in the last year or so is a BBC one called Don't Tell Me the Score 
um, which is interviewing. Usually it's successful athletes, but normally they've had an incredible life story. Quite a few of them actually have had, you know, a terrible accident actually, which has changed their life in a way that would seem like it would be much worse, but actually they're, for example, they're happier or, 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 you know, they've, they've got some incredible, um, learned some incredible things from that. Um, so that that's full of inspiring stories, but always with some really good lessons, um, about, about approaching sport and life. Um, I mean, another really good podcast is the science of ultra podcast, I think. Um, but I suppose you guys don't want to be going on about two other, too many other podcasts. Um, this podcast is, is probably the best one for people. Um, <laughs> Um, in terms of books, I, I do love, yeah, Lizzie Hawker's, I mean, there are lots of great sort of tra- training manuals and, and, but I, I do like the more dreamy, um, inspiring books and I would definitely put Lizzie Hawker's book up there. And I mean, Killian Journey's book, um, run or die. That's, you know, that's really inspiring. And, 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 and again, it's mostly kind of essays and, um, uh, almost poems about, you know, what, he, what goes through his mind when he's running. Um, and again, it shows that he's not really, you know, he's not really obsessed with kit or watches or that kind of thing. He, he just, he just loves being out there. Um, and I think those people are, do tend to be the more successful, the people who just, you know, they love being out there. They love being in mountains. Um, they tend to be the more successful and the ones who are around for longer. Um, another good book, I'm just really enjoying Scott Jurek's, um, North at the moment about his Appalachian Trail. That's such a good book. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really enjoying that. Um, yeah, such an adventure. Um, I'm just at a bit where Carl, Carl Meltzer turns up and sort of is really helpful, but at the same time is kind of, um, you know, turns the apple cart up a little bit as well. It's great. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So I think, I think reading books, like you've sort of got to be in love with, with it, but I, you can't force someone to be in love with it either. Um, so I don't, I don't know if I know what the, the solution with that is. I suppose it's not to, you know, don't feel if you've got into trail running and you've got some friends who are talking about running a hundred miles, like don't do that. If that doesn't excite you, there's no, you don't have to be a hundred mile racing sort of person. You might just find that, um, you know, 20 miles is fine or 10 miles is fine or, or even not racing at all is absolutely fine. And, um, you know, I've got a couple of clients who are, you know, they're just amazing people and amazing runners, but they don't really want to do races very much. They want to get fitter and stronger and a little bit faster, but they're not interested in that side of it. And I, I look up to those people more than, than, than kind of people who are doing four or five races a year and, and achieving great results. I'm, I'm so impressed by those people who don't need the races for sort of validation or, or, you know, those, they don't need the, um, I don't know, they don't need the social media or anything. They don't even, you know, need, need to, you know, they're not on Strava or whatever, you know, um, I, I, I want to be like those people, uh, really. Um, yeah, again, I've waffled aimlessly, but, uh, hopefully there's something in there <laughs> that sort of answers your question. Yeah, totally. And I think one thing that really comes to mind as you're speaking about this, both about your coaching philosophy, as well as, as mindset is that, all of the people that you mention, um, whether it's your your athletes who aren't super into coaching or it's Killian or Lizzie or Scott, is all of these folks who are part of this trail running community are so different. And I think that's what makes ultramarathoners and just trail runners generally a bit of an anomaly in that, you know, kind of, for example, sometimes women often do better than men and the underdog can win the 100 mile race 
and and these sorts of things. And as a coach, I'm kind of wondering what your opinion is on what does actually make a strong trail runner and how that then informs your coaching. Yeah, I, I think it has to be the um, <clears throat> the mental side of it and and the loving the loving the the sport again sport doesn't I was going to say loving the sport but I don't think sport is the right word for it um um I think it's you know loving running loving running on trails loving running in nature I think it's those people who love that side of it um loving the process um loving nature loving you know a rhythm um a run where they didn't you know they didn't do the fast you know strides that I suggested they do but actually they found I don't know an, an animal or, or a new path or, or some new flowers they've never seen before and I've got some clients like that who, who write whole essays um about their run um and, and you know it's just wonderful I, I think yeah I think that's what I'd like to encourage in people I, I don't know how to encourage it well maybe I do subconsciously I don't know but I do, it's difficult to force people to be like that if they're a lot more you know and I have got clients who are the other way who are very uh outcome outcome goal focused um you know they want um, almost a monthly test to prove to themselves that they're improving uh, I'm not saying this is a terrible approach but to me it's not as good um you know so so some of my challenge sometimes is is almost asking those people to adapt their minds a bit to to a a, a vaguer idea of simply enjoying it um and I'm you know, genuinely think that's going to lead to progress um, and not being too obsessed with how fast they're going, uh, how many miles they're doing, um, which can, yeah, can be counterproductive, really. Um, so again, I've, I've waffled and I hopefully there was some, so, so hopefully I've half answered your question there. <laughs> no, that that's, that's great. I mean, I think one, I, I guess you could call it red thread that connects a lot of both the questions we're asking and the answers you're giving is just really the importance of of mindset and and loving loving your sport. Um, on a slightly different note, um, when I was looking at your website, I noticed that you're a supporter of the Train Brave campaign. Is that right? Yeah. Which is actually something I learned about last year and both for personal reasons and just for my interest in science reasons, I got really interested in as well. And I'm curious how you got involved with, with them. Um, it's, it's, um, so for those who don't know, train brave is, um, it's Rini McGregor and Tom Fairbrother. Is it? I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know. Don't know Tom so well. Uh, but I've known Rini for, for a long time. She lives near me. Um, so Rini McGregor is a, um, Oh, a very, very well established, um, sports dietitian and eating, eating disorders dietitian. Um, she's worked with, you know, Olympians, Paralympians, and lots of people with, with eating disorders. Um, I've known her for quite a few years because we're sort of in the same running circles around here. And just when I got started, she was very helpful to me with some, just some nutrition advice. Um, so we're, I suppose we're friends and I do, I coach her at the moment actually. Um, so I suppose, you know, and I follow her on social media, so I, I can't remember whether I saw it on social media or whether she mentioned it in person, but, but, Yes, it's a sort of campaign of um, trying to encourage, I, I think, you know, making awareness for eating disorders and disordered eating. Um, now, I don't I don't think I've been troubled by that uh, personally, but um, at the same time, my very first coach I had, um, he did, you know, tell me to lose two, kilo, two kilograms uh, uh, in weight and then I'd be faster. And then when I did, he said, yeah, lose two more. 
and and instinctively i thought that doesn't you know i'm quite thin now that doesn't seem you know what's that based on that doesn't seem that smart advice i i don't think i will try and lose more um but you know over the last few years we've seen lots and lots of athletes um both right at the elite level and, the, and then and then just more recreational runners i suppose you know be be very in, incredibly honest about you know disordered eating and and so on and, and um and so i suppose really just yeah trying to spread awareness of that uh, and and good you know science-based information as well um and and she's yeah very busy in that work and i suppose all i, I i'm not really involved other than other than sort of you know trying to spread a bit of awareness too and occasionally i might consult with her if i've got concerns about a client um or ask her you know i can ask her nutrition questions um and yeah she's very helpful to me that way but but incredibly busy um Mm -hmm. so i suppose it comes from there and ultimately i want to be yeah the best coach i can be for people so it's good to have her as a resource and and have that knowledge um but it is you know nearly all of my coaching is remote coaching so i don't physically see people i don't actually know what they're eating each day and and i don't know it's probably not helpful to me to, to be monitoring that too much and, and unless there's someone who who is you know finding that difficult um yeah i'd just like to emphasize that that you know we need you know you need to be a strong athlete you need to eat you need to eat plenty um and your body should just naturally find you know if you're training well over time your body and everyone's different you know it sounds like a cliche but our bodies do metabolize differently they develop differently they you know um so don't judge you know don't judge yourself by looking at other people and and how they look and and what they're eating um you know we're all different and, and and all special in our in our own ways so um it's much more important to get the fuel in and you know run you're not going to become a fast and strong and robust runner if you if you don't put enough calories in um and that that's really important um um and i probably yeah around that time i probably reached a point where i was i suppose yeah i was getting thinner thinking that was the best way to get fast um and yeah but i was not doing well because i was feeling weak and you know i suppose i was under fueling whether i knew it or not i'm not sure but under fueling and um you know getting one or two injuries and, and now you know i'm i'm not injured for three and a half years now um because i'm not not you know restricting calories or definitely not or carbohydrates or anything like that um and yeah i love food it's um you know a strong good athlete eats eats plenty yeah and quite frankly i think regardless of whether or not one has personal experience with um disordered eating or um relative energy deficiency syndrome um i think it's essential for coaches to have some kind of idea about it so that they even if it's remote can watch out for it um, because it is becoming such an increasingly big issue amongst athletes and coaches are really on the front line when it comes to who the athletes talking to about these things so um, I appreciate that that you're informed I think that's really wonderful yeah and it's good you mentioned yeah I neglected to mention um yeah red reds or red s um which I think is 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 I mean two or three years ago I hadn't I hadn't heard of it and it's simply the, it's kind of the idea that we could be knowingly or unknowingly um under fueling and, and not have you know not have sufficient energy um and yeah that can that can lead us to some bad places um um so it, it's yeah it's imperative so whenever I take on someone new I you know I do well firstly I tell them to you know sort of follow Rini on 
on Instagram where she does actually do some, that sounds trivial, but she does some really informative posts. Um, and I encourage them to buy her book and read it. But I also, I've put together some notes with, with her, with her help that I give to all my clients to, you know, give, give some quite clear guidelines, um, on how much they should, they should be eating. Although it's not, it's not too prescriptive because like I say, everyone's different, but, but, you know, some good guidelines on, on, you know, eating the right amounts of, of things and lots of balance. Um, and then I suppose whenever an athlete has, um, you know, a bad run, um, it is one of the questions that, well, I think usually one bad run is, is okay. I think we all have runs where we feel a bit subpar for, you know, and it could be numerous reasons, but usually if it's a couple of bad runs in a row, we start thinking, you know, how's sleep been, how's, how's, um, stress been overall and how's, you know, are you fueling well enough? Um, those, those are the questions I'm always asking. Um, so it's, yeah, I, it, the last two couple of years, it's, really come to the fore i think and 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 right rightly so um but yeah the most successful runners are, are the ones the ones who stuff their faces from from what i can see um in races um um and yeah i do think that uh, you know that obsession a few years ago with the kind of low carb high fat diet um hopefully now uh, and i must admit you know even i experimented a little bit with it but um hopefully now people have turned the corner there's so much science now that says that's unwise um so th this kind of obsession with with you know under fueling or neglecting carbohydrates um you know it's not a good idea um so hopefully people are people are seeing that now mm -hmm. absolutely yeah i think a well-balanced diet is uh is key um so damien we have one final question for you that we have been asking um all guests on the series one of the avos explore show um, and that is what's one piece of advice that you'd give to your 20 year old self? <laughs> oh, oh, that's a good one. Um, yeah, it would be, it would be go running actually. Um, so I've only discovered how enjoyable, you know, how life changingly, I mean, it's been, yeah, this, this discovering running has been life changing for me. It's changed, uh, you know, it's changed my body. It's changed what I do in my spare time. It's changed my friends. It's changed my work, um, all within eight or nine years. Um, I would, I've got no regrets. I've had a, you know, I've had a great life. I've been very lucky, but if I could have, you know, I'm already 44. If I could have discovered it 10 years younger, um, I would have been competitive for longer. Um, but yeah, other than that, I can't think of much. I, I've had a very blessed, a very blessed life really. But yeah, it would have been nice to have discovered the joy of running earlier, uh, is all, is all really I could, uh, could wish for. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, that's a good one, I think, as well. Just keeping it simple and then just enjoying it for what it is. Um, so, yeah, that wraps up our show for today. Damien, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your experience with us. Um, you're super oh, sure. down to earth and, you know, there's loads of key takeaways for our listeners. So, so thank you. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, guys. Huge thank you to Damien for joining us as a guest today. You can check him out on Instagram at ultra underscore demo or on his website www.damienhall.info. If you've enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, comment and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you on the next. <laughs>